Hebrews chapter 10. Hopefully you're all ready for the holiday season. We've got an opportunity to go up to Lake Tahoe this past week for a couple days with my daughter and grandkids and son-in-law and had a wonderful time up there. And as we were climbing in elevation, approaching the area where the snow is, um, I was just thankful that it was blue sky, so I didn't have to pay for chains or anything. I kind of took a chance and didn't buy any before I went, but the Lord watched out for me, and that was good. But uh, it was just a marked difference when we came to a certain elevation where everything that was brown, all of a sudden it was covered with white. And uh, the trees were laden down with snow, and it was just a very beautiful scenic time and it reminded me that um, it's through Christ, it's through his birth, through his life and through his death and resurrection that our, our sins are forgiven, that we are made as white as snow. And uh, sometimes if you've ever lived in the snow, you know that after fresh fallen snow, it's just so beautiful. But given a couple days, uh, usually that fresh fallen snow gets trailed upon and tracked and muddy and, and it looks a little uh, not as beautiful as it did the first day. But it's still more beautiful than just brown scenery. So that's, that's always a good thing. Today I want to look at Hebrews chapter 10 verses 5 to 7. And you might say, well, why are we in Hebrews? Isn't this Christmas? Well, we're going to look at "Twas the night before Christmas. And um, I want to look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. It says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings have not, you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. I'm sure many of us are familiar with the famous poem by Clement Moore, "'Twas the night before Christmas, went all through the house. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nick would soon be there. And it goes on and on. The other day I tested my grandson. I kind of recited that poem and left, mixed some words up. And he quickly corrected me. And I just did that to prove a point. This is something that we probably haven't memorized officially, but we know it. Uh, in many homes, this has become a Christmas tradition, that little poem. I remember being in grade school and uh, in, even in elementary school, um, hearing that around Christmas time. The teacher would read that poem to us, or you see it on Christmas specials today. Um, it's quite true that we don't know the exact day of Christ's birth. We just don't. Uh, we take one day a year, the 25th of December, to celebrate the very fact that Jesus Christ, our Savior, was born here on this earth. Um, there's a little poem that says this, little Jesus Wast thou shy, once, and just as small as I? And what did it feel to be, out of heaven, and just like me? That's what happened at Christmas. Um, you know, when you stop and you begin to realize that Christ 
gave up so much to come down here to this earth, to put on a human body, to live 30-some years, and then to die a cruel death on a cross. I can't help but think, what was Christ doing? What was happening in heaven? What was going through Christ's mind as he was being born on earth? You may not know that part of the story. We know all the other stuff. We know about the angels. We know about the shepherds. We know about Caesar's decree to kill the firstborn. And that led Mary and Joseph on a journey to Bethlehem in God's providence. We know about the manger. We know about the wise men and the star that led them from the east. We even know about Herod's plan to kill the baby Jesus. But we may not know this part of the story. This is really Christmas according to Jesus. (laughs) From his very mouth, from his very thoughts, from his very word. What was on our Lord's mind as he was being born? You ever thought of that? What was he thinking about? Well, you may be surprised to know that the Bible actually gives us the answer to that question. And it's found in the text we just read in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 7. It gives us kind of like a prayer of the baby Jesus if he was coming into this world. It's really a declaration of the eternal Son of God as he stepped out of heaven and he entered this world through a virgin's womb. This is the Christmas story according to Jesus Christ. We all know Matthew's version. We all know Luke's version. But in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 7, we get the Christmas story from the very lips of the person, Jesus Christ. This is what he was thinking about the night before Christmas. It's taken out of Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 to 8. And so, as he was coming into this world, it says that he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings, in sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I will come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. I just want to draw quick, three quick points out of this little text for us this morning. First of all, we have to understand that the Lord is emphasizing here that he did not begin at Bethlehem. That's why we can say, well, what was Christ thinking before this happened? It really tells us, first of all, that our Lord's existence did not begin at Bethlehem. Verse 5 stresses, and it says there, when Christ came into the world, or as he was coming into the world. In other words, it really speaks to us of a pre-existent Christ in heaven. You have to understand, in the theological terms, Christ didn't begin his existence in a manger. He existed for all of eternity past. Some theologians call this the councils of the eternity. And what they mean by that is they mean 
that there was a divine agreement among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that the Son would be the one to enter the human race and offer himself as Savior. See, our Lord didn't begin at Bethlehem. As the second person of the Trinity, he had no beginning because he's God. That's why he said in John eight fifty eight, before Abraham, what? I was, right? I am. Before Abraham was, I am. The Son existed eternally with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Someone asked me, why do you think the birth of Christ is only recorded in Matthew and Luke, but it's not in Mark and John? The answer goes back to the purpose of those two Gospels. Mark really wanted to emphasize that Christ was a great servant. And he came to give his life for others. It doesn't matter how the servant came. It only matters that he serves and how he serves others. And by contrast to that, John's Gospel goes back to the ultimate beginning. If you look at that, far beyond Bethlehem. It starts with the eternal pre-existence of Jesus Christ as the true word of God. Because John chapter 1 verse 1 says, what? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus Christ is the word. There's one important fact here to remember that Christmas marks the human birth of the Lord Jesus. But it does not mark the beginning of his existence. That's very important to understand. As the Son of God, he existed with the Father long before he was conceived in Mary's womb. Secondly, he came to take away our sins. He came to take away our sins. Not only did his existence not begin at Bethlehem, one of the purposes that he came was to replace the failed Jewish system of animal sacrifice. I don't know about you, but if you're an animal lover here today, you have to thank God that he replaced that system. Verse 5 says explicitly, you did not want sacrifice and offering. Now, in, in the time of this writing, this would have been a shock to the Jewish priests of the day. Because for centuries, they have offered bulls and goats, lambs, as God had prescribed in the Old Testament. Day after day. And they did this because they sincerely believed that it was God who wanted them to do this. This is what God wanted them to do. And they were not wrong in what they did. But unfortunately, they didn't understand the truth of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, for it is impossible, look at what it says, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It doesn't say there's just maybe a chance. It says it's impossible. And then look at verse 11, Hebrews 10, 11. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins sins. Priests in the Old Testament spent their days in a routine of sacrificing and offering animals one after the other. Morning, noon, night, day in and day out, week in, week out. Month after month, year after year, decade after decade, century after century. 
See, during the 1,500 years from the time of Moses to the time of Christ, think about it, tens of thousands of lambs and goats and bulls were offered on an altar before God to make atonement for the sins of the people. That's what he means when he says there, day after day, time after time, the same sacrifices were offered. Having grown up in the Catholic Church and having a little understanding of Catholic theology, that's what happens every time they have a Mass. That's why they have an altar. That's why they have a priest who's dressed in vestments, who's up there holding a host. And he takes his host and he lifts it up to heaven. Symbolically, he's pulling Christ out of heaven and sacrificing him once again on their altar. That doesn't jive with what Scripture says. The Scripture says that when Jesus Christ hung on the cross and he died for our sins, at the end, what did he say before he died? It is finished. There's no need for any more sacrifice. But even with that being said, you have to understand animal blood can never take away sin. Some people get confused. They think in the Old Testament, well, the way they dealt with their sin was they offered sacrifices and somehow that paid for their sin. No, it didn't. It just looked forward to the sacrifice that Christ was going to pay. Suppose you took all the blood offered on all the Jewish altars over all those centuries, offered by priests doing God's will, obeying God's law, sincerely doing what God told them to do, sacrificing bulls and goats until there was a river of blood flowing from the altar. What does all that animal blood amount to? How many sins could all that blood forgive? Not one, zero, zip, nada, nothing. That's a shocking fact, a stunning reality. It's really a sobering truth when you stop and think about it. Isaac Watts, who's a great hymn writer, in 1709, he wrote a hymn. We don't sing this hymn. But it's called, Not All the Blood of Beasts. How would you like to sing that song? Open up to Not All the Blood of Beasts, you know. Probably have people running out the doors. Here's what one of the stanzas says. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. Then he gives the gospel in the next verse. It says, but Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all of our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. See, that's entirely right. That's what the Bible tells us. Jesus came to do what animal sacrifices could never do. He came to deal with our sin once and for all. You see it there in chapter, in verse 5 of chapter 10. He says, but a body you have prepared for me. On one level, this means that Christ's birth was no afterthought in God's plan. This wasn't an accidental incident. This was something that was foreordained before the foundations of the world. 
But it was also the fulfillment of all the promises ever made in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah. And at a deeper level, it means that this body was prepared for him so that years later, he could offer himself as the once-for-all sacrifice for sins as he died on the cross. Just as the lamb was prepared for sacrifice, Jesus came as the lamb of God, it says, to take away the sins of the world. It's so, so important that we understand that. He came to take away our sins. You know, sometimes even in our own Christian lives today, we think somehow that by sacrificing, that somehow we're going to earn something from God. I know children think this way, but even adults think this way. You know, it's, it's an it's a earned kind of mentality. Well, if I'm good for so long, then God will bless me. Or as adults, if, boy, if I just get everything right in my spiritual life, then God will bless me. Is that true? Sure. But you know what? He's not blessing you because of your performance. Where do we get this thinking? We live in a performance-oriented society. And so we think that, well, if I do this, this, and this, then God has to do this. No. Anything we receive from our God is just grace, pure grace. He doesn't owe us anything. And yet he continues to bless us day after day. He continues to bless us with sometimes mundane things. Things like being born in this country. As mixed up and troubled as it is even now. I'd rather live here than anywhere else on earth. Period. I didn't have any say in that. But God did. Just you being here today in this service. It's not accidental. It's not coincidental. It's not by luck. It's, it's, God has a plan. He has a purpose. He wants you to hear something that maybe will convict or encourage to send you out into this lost and dying world with maybe just a little glimmer of hope. Christ came to take away our sins, beloved. We don't need to perform before God to get a hug. That's just not what the Bible says. That we, through Christ, have a right standing. We have been justified. We have been forgiven. We're declared righteous in his sight if we've trusted his son and his sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. There's nothing else that needs to be done. There's nothing else that can be done. That's why in Hebrews, part of Hebrews, in Hebrews 6, it talks about, well, there's no more sacrifice that remains. Well, no, Jesus is the only sacrifice. You can't go anywhere else. There is no other Savior. He's the only one. And He is the one who came to take away our sins. Well, next, He came to do God's will. He came to do God's will. Uh, When Montgomery Boyce preached on this, James Montgomery Boyce preached on this text, he pointed out that Christ came into the world knowing His purpose from the beginning. Think about that for a second. He knew before he even came down here what was going to happen to him. He knew where he was going to be born. He knew all the sins that were going to be put upon him. He knew how the disciples were going to interact with him. He knew which ones were going to be a traitor, which ones were going to deny him. He knew all that ahead of time because he's God. 
And yet he still came. I mean, I don't know about you, but if, if you know, I'm not the kind of person who looks for a fight usually. And so if I know somebody's waiting for me and they, they kind of want to fight, you know, I'm going to try to avoid that. I'm not going to roll up my sleeves and, ah, let's go. You know, that's just not who I am. I want to avoid conflict. I mean, think how hard it would be if you knew somebody was going to be outside these doors afterwards and they were going to just beat the pulp out of you as soon as you walked out these doors and you knew it ahead of time. And yet, well, I'm just going to go out there. <laughs> you know, what's, where are you born? I mean, why would you do that? You know, you wouldn't want to put yourself in harm's way. And yet that's exactly what Christ did. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew exactly how many swings of the hammer it was going to take to drive those spikes through his hands and through his feet. He knew exactly how much force and what it was going to feel like when that sword went in his side. He knew all that ahead of time. And you say, well, wouldn't that make it easier? I don't know. I think the human side of Christ in the garden, he was dealing with some some issues there. Right? I mean, he went to his father and he said, if there's any other way, if you got another plan, God, now might be the time to kind of whisper that in my ear. But, you know, whatever. It's your will, your call. I'm going to do what you sent me here to do. He wasn't gleefully looking forward to the cross, even though he knew what it was going to accomplish. But he came to do his will. He came knowing his purpose from the beginning. You know, that can't be said of anybody else. No one else can say that. That can't be said of any other baby. The past few days, we've enjoyed having Crystal and Will and the kids here. It's fun to be together for the holidays. See them grown up, see them interact with each other. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad, but it's still nice to sit back and observe that. And so we've treasured these past couple days, and it's kind of fun to see how their different personalities are. And how you can see, even now, certain gifts and abilities coming out in them, even as young as they are. So we think about our grandchildren, we wonder, well, what's going to happen to them? When I pray for them, I ask God to keep them safe, keep them healthy. I pray that they'll grow up to love and to serve the Lord. But you know what? I don't know what God has called them to do. And frankly, right now, neither do they. (laughs) See, each one has a place in God's plan. But I don't know how that's going to work out in the years to come. It's unlikely, maybe even that, who knows? May not even live long enough to see everything that God has planned for them. But you know what? I pray for them because my prayers are based on the promises of God. I leave the outworking of all the details in his hands. That's what the Bible calls us to do. But see, Christ knew his destiny from the very beginning. And it says that he came to do God's will. It's funny when you listen to your grandkids and even 
Will and Crystal talk about the dreams they have and the retirement, all this stuff. <clears throat> it's, it's neat to see how we can dream about things and have plans. <clears throat> I know my brother, Tom, <clears throat> was a farmer and when he was alive, excuse He was uh, really wanting um, his son, Luke, to kind of step step up to the plate and take over the farm and all this stuff. And, you know, when he was in high school. And I knew Luke well enough to know that he just had no desire for that. So Luke said, I'm going to go join the Marine Corps. And that's what he did. Um. But even now, he's back there living right next to my brother's farm where his wife, Carol, still lives and still doing the basic chores for his mom that he did probably when he was a teenager. Um, Maybe you're a business owner and you have a dream of your son or daughter joining you in business. A lot of times, parents hope that their children will even attend certain colleges and follow in their steps, whatever it might be. And all those hopes are understandable. There's nothing wrong with that. But those dreams sometimes, what, do not come to pass. Sometimes children go their own way. They choose a different school. They choose a different career. They aren't interested in the family business. Christ wasn't like that at all. Even as an infant, he had come with a purpose. It's not that as if the father had to convince Jesus. You know, he didn't have some big pep talk up there in heaven. Okay, Jesus, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go down there. You're going to take on the body of a human being. You're going to live 30-some years. You listening, son? Okay, get ready. You know, he, he didn't have to do that. The son knew all of that before he was born. And he came anyway. He came to do God's will. Knowing that it would mean his own bloody death on a cross. And he came anyway. I've been listening to some Christmas music lately. And in a second here, I'm going to show you a little video with a, a song. And I want, to, I want you to, more than even look at the images, I want you to listen to the words of this song. Because it really talks about Christ coming down into this world. And in the final stanza, it says this, Fragile finger sent to heal us, tender brow prepared for thorn, tiny heart whose blood will save us, onto us is born. So wrap our injured flesh around you, breathe our air, and walk our side. Rob our sin, and make us holy. Perfect Son of God. Thank you. 
yourself at home. Please make yourself at home. Bring your peace into our violence. Bid our hungry souls be filled. We're now breaking heaven's silence. Welcome to our world. Welcome to our world. Fragile fingers sent to heal us. Tender brow prepared for thorn. Tiny heart whose blood will save us unto us. Is born unto us. Is born. So wrap our injured flesh around you. Breathe our air and walk our side. Rob our sin and make us holy. Perfect Son of God. Perfect Son of God. Welcome to. Welcome to our world. Christ came to earth with a definite purpose. He came to do his Father's will. He fulfilled that when he died on the cross, bearing the sins of the world, of you and I. And that's the ultimate meaning of this angelic proclamation. We so many times hear this time of the year in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, For unto you is born this day, In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. See, Jesus Christ came to die. Nothing else explains his birth. He perfectly fulfilled God's will when no one else could. As a man, he died. As God, he bore the sin of the world. No one else could have done what Jesus did No one else was qualified. No one else was willing. No one else was available. That was on the mind. On Jesus' mind the night before Christmas. Harry Ironside likes to tell the story about Tsar Nicholas I of Russia. It seemed that the Tsar had a good friend who asked him to provide a job for his son. And this the Tsar did, appointing the son as paymaster for the barracks in the Russian army. However, it turned out that the son was morally weak and soon gambled away nearly all of the money entrusted to him. When the word came that the auditors were going to examine his records, the young man despaired, 
knowing that he would be found out. He calculated the amount he owed and it came to a total of a huge debt, far greater than he could ever pay. And he determined that night before the auditors would arrive that he would take a gun and he would commit suicide at midnight. And before going to bed, he wrote out a full confession Listening, or listing all that he had taken, writing underneath in these words, quote, a great debt, who can pay? Then he fell asleep, weary from all his calculations and emotional distress. Late that night, the czar himself paid a surprise visit to the barracks as he was occasionally accustomed to do. And seeing a light on, he peered into the room and he found the young man asleep with the letter of confession next to him. He read the letter, and he instantly understood what had happened. He paused for a moment, considering what punishment to impose. Then he bent over, and he wrote one word on the paper, and he left. Eventually, the young man woke up, realizing realizing that he had slept past midnight, Taking his gun, he prepared to kill himself when he noticed that someone had written something on the ledger. Under his words, a great debt, who can pay? He saw one word. Nicholas. He was dumbfounded. And then he was terrified because he realized that the czar knew what he had done. Checking his records... He found that the signature was genuine. Finally, the thought settled into his mind that the czar knew the whole story and was willing to pay the debt himself. Resting on the words of his commander-in-chief, he fell asleep. In the morning, a messenger came from the palace with the exact amount the young man owed. Only the czar could pay. And the czar did pay. Well, you know what? Only Jesus could pay our debt to God. And that and that alone explains why in John chapter 1 verse 14 it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He pitched his tent here for 30 some years that he might with his own blood pay the debt that we owed because of our own sin. We stand today precisely where the young man did. When we look at our sins, when we realize our hopeless condition, we say, a great debt, who could pay? The Lord Jesus Christ steps forward. He signs his name to our ledger, Jesus Christ. Only Jesus could pay, and he does. This is why he came. This is the real meaning of Christmas. When Christmas arrives, families gather together to open up gifts. God has a Christmas gift for you. It's wrapped not in bright paper with a fancy ribbon. But it's wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. It's the gift of his son. It's for you, it's for I. The gift is still there. It must be personally received. You know, you can never truly enjoy Christmas until you can look in the Father's face and tell him that you have received his gift. I want to ask you this morning, have you done that? 
Christina Rossetti said this, wrote this, What shall I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I'd give him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I'd do my part. What shall I give him? I'll give him my heart. Have you ever done that? Have you ever given him your life, your heart? I'm just here this morning to tell you that no decision is more important. No one else can make that decision for you. If you aren't ready, then nothing I can say can compel you to come to Christ. But if you are ready, then it's time for you to do business with the Lord. John 1.12 says that he gave the right to become God's children to everyone who believed on him. Have you ever come to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Thank you, Lord, that your word does tell us what Jesus was thinking the night before Christmas. We thank you that he began in eternity past. That he's eternal. He has no beginning. And that he came to take away our sins. That he came to do your will, not his own. And that only Jesus can pay for our sins. If you'd like to come to Christ even this morning, if the Lord is prompting your heart, just cry out to God, Lord, you know, I know I'm a sinner. I confess that I've sinned in word and deed many times against you. Here and now, I want to confess my sins. I want to ask Jesus to be my Savior, my Lord. I believe that he died on a cross. That he rose from the dead on the third day, as the Bible says. With all my heart, I'm trusting Jesus alone in his work on Calvary for my salvation. Please forgive my sins. Save me. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Make me the kind of person you desire me to be. When you pray that prayer from a sincere heart, he will save you. He will forgive your sin. I pray, Lord, as we leave this place and we go out into this world, Lord, as believers, we may make an effort, even this week, to bring Christ into the conversation. To simply maybe utter the words, Merry Christmas, to someone selling us something in a store. To have a joyful attitude. To be filled with your spirit this week as we await the celebration of your son's birth. Father, thank you for our time. We pray that you would just bless our fellowship afterwards in the fellowship hall. Bless the food to our bodies as well. And bless our meeting after this service. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.